So um, in San Jose, they do a, got like a little bit of feedback up here. Uh, they do, they do what they call, oh, I said it so many times and I just spaced. It is Generation Sunday. So what they do is they have the youth come up and they start the service. They do the announcements. They do worship. They do the message. They do the whole thing because you have to raise the next generation up. It's been said that the church is one generation away from non-existence. So you got to bring that next generation up. So we are staying on the topic, seek God first. But also we're going to raise up the next generation. We have five people going to do the, the message. And, you know, 30 minutes apiece. We'll get you out by dinner. <laughs> no, no. They're only going to, we, um, we gave them seven minutes to do it. So it's, it's compact. It's an exercise in speaking and delivering your point and hitting your conclusion. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, but let, let's, let's pray. God, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for giving us this day. Lord, let my words and the words of everyone who's going to come up here and speak, let it be of you. Let it be from you. Let it be for someone. And just open their hearts to receive what they have. So we're on Seek Ye First. And so I, I had a, a rough week, and it was a lot of deadlines. You have to get to here, and you have to get this done. And I was starting to stress out about it. And it's like, okay, you got school ministry, you got to get caught up for that. And you got Sunday. And then, so I'm working backwards. And Friday, you might have to let somebody go. Definitely it was going to be a corrective action. Because, like, you know, it's somebody's job. So I was kind of stressing out about that. And then Thursday was, you have to go travel three hours away, fix a machine, and it has to be done by, before you leave. I'm like, well, I don't know what I need. I don't know what's wrong with it. And, you know, really starting to, like, think, over-prepare, take all this, take that. And I was really kind of feeling it. And, and then I had an inspection. You know, the, the regional manager was going to come down and look at all the stores. And I knew they weren't right. And there's a whole bunch of stuff happening. And I'm working on it. And my expectations are way up here. So I was stressing out about it. Inspection went good. And, but I'm still, like, you know, getting anxious about it. Getting real like, but you know, I was doing my job, doing what I needed to, and I was praying to God, and I'm like, I am getting anxious over this. And He took me to Matthew six, and it's seek ye first. So you know, that's that's King James right there. So I'm gonna read to you out of the King James, and. Be patient with me. 
Therefore, take no thoughts, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith all shall we be clothed? I love that, wherewith all. You know, you can get a lot out of the King James because it makes you slow down and be like, wherewithal? What does that mean? So you got to look it up and you got to. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. And what he's really saying, for all these things the non believers seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all these things. You have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And you can't stop there. And his righteousness. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So I read that and I was like, okay. But how, how do I do this? So he said, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, tomorrow. For the morrow will, for the morrow shall take thought for things of itself. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficiency unto the day is the evil thereof. Think about today. Live in today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. That machine I had to repair, if you can't figure it out, and it's broken be on a repair that you can't make, it's going to be okay. And it was. I figured it out. It didn't get fixed. It, it is in process. <laughs> so he was really just saying, you got to take me with you. And I was like, okay, well, how do I do that? So I'm getting ready to go in and issue that corrective action. I don't know how it's going to go, you know, because it's, it's really it's a response thing. If they're receiving your correction, then you don't have to dial it up to the next level. And maybe you can bring them in and help them become a better employee. So I'm sitting in the truck, I'm about to go in, and I'm like, God, give me the words. I just help me communicate this. So right there, I brought God in, and I took him with me. Okay, help me deal with this. And it went good. So you just have to bring God in to your everyday, to your everything. Because if you're doing like I was doing, and God forgive me for it, he did, you read in the morning, but then... You said it there. God's, God's there, but I'm off doing my thing. I'm off working and doing. But I didn't take God with me. So the team is going to come up, and they're going to help you go through different ways to bring God with you. So um, I'm going to ask Alina to come up and share what God has given her. Yeah. So... We're seeking God first, right? Um, we need to be reminded that we have relationships, right? And in our relationships, there's a lot of this, right? We're giving and taking. And whatever we're giving and taking is somehow influenced by 
what we are giving and taking from above, right? So we're going to go on a little journey here. Imagine having a clear glass pitcher. You're standing before your sink, washing it, and putting it next to your bedside, okay? And time to go to sleep, go to sleep, you wake up. Now the clarity of this pitcher is basically dependent on how you slept. Did you have too much pizza? Did you have a little foot in your face? Are you groggy or are you refreshed and energized and excited, right? So are there spots? Did a little spider crawl in, die in there, some dust? Or is it sparkling and beautiful? Now, let's take a step back. You woke up this morning. What was your routine? What did you do? All of us do have some type of a routine, don't we, right? Now, think about your Monday through Friday routine. What do you do, right? Um, add another layer. You are now a Christian, so you have to incorporate God into your day somehow. So in our home, we have an AM routine for the kids, and there's like nine things they have to do to get a check mark, to earn a point, to get money. Two of those points are you say, good morning, God, and the other one is prayer on your way to school probably, you know, along the way. But while thinking about this message specifically, <laughs> I don't know if it's like flowing properly, but we've incorporated morning devotionals now into our <laughs> schedule this week. So, you know, how difficult is it? We're trying not to only maintain our relationship with God, then we're as a couple, you have to be united. And then you have these little humans staring at you. <laughs> You know, you yell one day, they yell the next day. You're kind one day, they're kind. So you're representing Christ to them too. And on top of this, you're trying to teach them their ways, right? So as humans, we're always pulled into different directions, right? There's two kingdoms, kingdom of God and the other kingdom. And kingdom of God always pulls us to be holy and reality. We're not always up here. And the other kingdom is completely associated with pleasures, now, one of my sons, who's very spirited, just like his mama, <laughs> likes to argue with me and say, I want to go play. I want to do this. It's the best part of his day, as are mornings for most of us, right? <laughs> we hit the ground running. There's a deadline. There's a, you know, there's work. There's school. There's a machine. There's something, right, that we need to take care of. But I had to calm him down and scale him back and tell him, calm down. Take a breath, be still, right? We have to be intentional with God is what I was trying to say. Like it tells us in Romans 12 too, have a renewal of your mind, right? When we pause in our mornings and we ask God and we're intentional about it, you, God, come to me. You, God, fill me. You, God, remind me of your love, of your grace, of your mercy, you, God, take my pitcher, fill it up with spiritual gifts. You are the living water. You fill up my pitcher. Help me wear the armor of God as I walk into the world. Help me be set on you. There are so many verses in the Bible that tell us to go to God in the morning. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 143.8 says, Let the morning bring your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. 
Show me the way, and I will follow you and entrust my life to you. Psalms 90.14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. And there's so many verses that we can refer to in this. So what are we really doing in the mornings? When we're being filled with Christ, and we have Christ's mindset in our picture, we will be easily be able to identify if somebody's in need, if somebody needs a prayer, if your child needs a little extra grace or patience from you, if your spouse has a, needs a lending ear from you, right? Or are we taking our jugs and filling them up with Instagram, with the morning paper, or if you have triggers like Bill Gates, you know? <laughs> so the point is, what is setting your mood? What is setting your day? And it's not always a walk in the park, because the days you do spend with God, oh, isn't that the day that the enemy definitely <laughs> tries to attack, right? Maybe your kid's having an extra tantrum, or you and your spouse get into a little riff. It always works that way. But when you're on guard, and you're guarding your heart, and you're guarding your mind, and you're placing God at the first portion of your day, and allowing him to fill your pitcher of living water so that when you pour and give to the person you are interacting with, right, you're also blessing them. And that's my little... So it starts when we get to the pulpit, right? So <laughs> who do we go to first? <laughs> so who do we go to first? I don't know about you, but there are so many options out there to go to when you have a need. People and even things. Um, there are choices that are really easy to see. It's just straight up bad. Easy to filter. It's going to be dangerous. Okay, no. Then there's the things that are still good things. People are good. Food is good. Netflix is good. All these things. Social media, medication, all these things are good. And people. You've got parents, you've got friends, family, you've got, I mean, professional, doctors. You've got good Good things. But what we're talking about is the order, the alignment, and where do we go first? When I was really reflecting on my track record on certain stresses I would have, I started asking myself, where would I go? And what would I do? Who would I talk to? And there's times I really got it right. I went to God first, and it looked like prayer or reading the Bible or worshiping, and you get a download. You get, you, it's like, this is where I'm going. Then there are the times when I did not do the right thing first. And I would go to good things. I would call mama or talk to Eric first or eat a whole bag of M&Ms or jalapeno chips or binge Netflix on whatever I felt like watching at the time. But I'll tell you, when I didn't go to the first thing, there was honestly a grubbiness that I would feel like. Uh, uh, and so 
when I did the right thing, it's like it felt different. There was still the care. It didn't go away, but it felt different. The weight of it didn't feel as heavy. In Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I loved last week how Pastor Steve brought the word alignment in. And for me, I love a good knuckle cracking. And so I'm thinking skeletal care, you know, I'm thinking alignment, chiropractor. And when I was thinking of it, it's like no matter what you do in life, your bones will get out of alignment. It's just going to happen. But if you take care of things, a good stretch, a good rotation, easy. Go about your day. Then there's the times we don't take care of business. We add a few pounds or we have a trauma happen to us. And where do we go? And how quickly do we get it taken care of? Because if we let those things linger, it's going to take a whole lot more than stretching and a rotation to take care of these things. So when we go to something other than the Lord, we put ourselves in the position of carrying the weight of it. We think we know better. I mean, we inadvertently do these things. It's not like I'm saying, I know better than you. It's just our actions kind of say that. And so when we do that, it's not a great picture or a great conviction to feel, but we are dangerously approaching idolatry. We're starting to move him over or move him off of the priority list in our hearts and put something else there. When Eric and I were married for a while, we had this really awesome time with a really trusted minister, and he gave me a straight-up word, and it was, you need to take the pressure off your husband of being your Lord and put the Lord back in his place. Jesus says in Revelation 2, 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. In the Passion, it says, you have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. And it was true. It was a hard pill to swallow, but it was true. I was putting somebody else that still, I mean, there was a, there's a high place for him in my life, but it's not the highest place. And with that, when I started noticing the tendencies, I would go to him first for, and I started correcting it, it would be like, our communication got better. Our joy, our ease of understanding one another got better. And those were, as in our key verse, were the things being added to us. There are all sorts of things that can get in the way. There's the Netflix thing, the food thing, all of these things. But things do not offer correction, conviction, even encouragement or celebration. It's like, whoopee, that jalapeno was hot. But there's nothing of substance there. It's going to be the hollow, most hollow relationship you're ever going to have. Then there's people. 
Now, when you take an honest assessment of people in your life, you're going to realize these are good, honest assessment, and these are the ones maybe I need to question going to them. But when God starts being the first one that you go to, you'll see really quickly how you may not go to your go-to person or the thing that you were going to hash out turns God-centered all of a sudden. So as I wrap up, here are some reflection questions as we ask ourselves. Come on. When I look for help, do I pray, read, worship first? When I'm looking for encouragement or praise, do I pray, read, or worship first? Before I move in a direction for help, validation, or encouragement, do I pray, read, or worship first? Remember, he loves you and wants it to be there for you. Let's show him how much we passionately love him and put him first. We'll start yet. When we make big life decisions, who do we consult? Do we turn to our spouse, a parent, a sibling, a trusted friend? How about God? Do we go to him for advice and blessing when we're deciding what our next move should be? What's the big deal? Do I really need to take every decision to God? Do I have to say, God, what sandwich should I make today for my lunch at work? That doesn't matter. He's providing you the nutrients you need to make the sandwich. He, d he did his part right there. But big decisions, let's take those to God. Let's take a look at a couple people in the Bible. Saul was ordained by God to be the first king of Israel. He started off pretty good, and then he lost favor with God. God decided that David would be the next king of Israel. And Saul became angry and jealous and went again against what God's plans were. And all kinds of things started coming down on Saul because he was not following the will of God. On the flip side, David trusted in God. And before going into battle, consulted God every time. Lord, what shall I do? And God would say, the battle is yours. This is how you're going to do it. And he did. David wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. You know, there were things that God did not want him to do that he did anyway. But he always turned back to God, recognized his mistake, said, God, okay, now how do I move forward? Jesus, even. You know, we look in, in Luke 22, 39 through 44. I have it right here. Then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel came from heaven, appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that he sweat, or that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At any point, 
Jesus could have called down an army of angels to come and defend him. The Romans would not have been able to take him into custody if he had given the command. But he trusted in God and followed God's decision. He did not follow his own choices. You know, when Cynthia and I were dating, we decided that we were going to put God first in our relationship. You know, actually, I had come out of a bad relationship that was not God-centered. And I knew how hard it could be. So even coming into the relationship, God, okay, if this is the girl for me, these are the things that I need. We need to go to church. She needs to have a strong faith in you, Lord, and we need to walk together in you. And look what I have. A beautiful woman that's up here preaching together. But as we were dating, I was living up north in Placerville. She was down here in Fresno. We were seeing each other on the weekends, but we wanted to see more of each other. So we took it to God. We said, God, okay, one of us is going to move. Either I'm going to move down here or she's going to move up there. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to each apply to jobs in the other area. And whoever gets the call first, that's the move that we're going to make because we're going to believe that that is what you have ordained for us. That's what we did. I applied for jobs down here. Cynthia applied for ones up there. I got a call five minutes before she did. The call that she got would have been a better paying job. She would have had better benefits. It was working for the city, so there was going to be retirement, all kinds of great things. My job, I was just getting an hourly check. No benefits, no retirement, no anything. But I got that call first. So we said, okay, God, we're going to trust in you. You have this. This is the way that we're going to step forward. And that's what we did. And now, <laughs> so many years later, we're still going good. We're still putting God at the heart of our decisions. You know, when we were looking for a house, we did that too. Every time we'd find a house, okay, Lord, if this is the house that you have for us, make it happen. And time after time, uh, those houses fell through. And each time we saw a new one, it was better than the last one. We kept saying, okay, God, this one, surely this one is the one that you want for us. No. But then we got to this one, and we felt the Spirit of the Lord say, this is where you're going to be. This is where I'm planting you. This is where you're going to do my work. Okay, Lord, this is your decision. We are going to trust in it. This is what we're going to follow. So I ask you, when you're making decisions, who do you look for for an answer first? Do you just go, okay, this big decision is mine. I am going to make it. I have the final say. I'm making this decision with my spouse. My spouse will tell me what is right, what I should do. My parent, my sibling, my trusted friend, they are going to tell me what I should do. No. You are a child of God. Look to the Father who saw you before you were even 
in your mother's womb, that knew how your life was going to play out, that has every moment planned for you. Look to him in your decisions, and he will direct your path. Man, God is good. Can I tell you that, yes, we have our Seek Ye First, because that's the series that we're in, but none of us talked about any of our sermons. None of us actually sat down together and thought out how this is going to go or what we're going to say. We all did it just with us and God. And he is connecting. He's connecting all of it. So I'm doing work putting God first together. And initially that might seem kind of like, well, duh, Cynthia, like we're coming to church, we're doing this thing together. What else are we going to do at church? We're going to put God first. Of course we are. We all have a lot going on outside. Almost every one of us has said that. We have work, we have kids, we have spouses, we have, our minds are just going oh, I didn't do the laundry this morning. Oh, I hope he has something good to wear for work tomorrow. All of it. I am the queen of multitasking. And so my brain's going while my mouth's going, but they're doing two different things. Can I tell you, that is difficult. Um, I was doing some research for today about multitasking because I was like, sometimes when I'm sitting in here listening to the sermon, when I'm up here, worshiping God, the back of my mind is thinking, do I have time to throw the dishes in as soon as I get home so that we can eat dinner tonight because we only have two clean plates left because I didn't do it yesterday? Oh, darn it. So multitasking, honestly, is not a thing. It's not. What it really is, is your brain switching between tasks quickly You think you're doing more than one thing at a time, but you're not. Your focus is changing just like that. But for that little bit of time, you're not focused on what you're doing. You're focused on the next thing. Even if you come right back to it, your focus is still shifting. We're wired to be monotaskers. Our brains are wired to focus on one thing at a time. Have you ever tried to say one thing to somebody and write something else down completely. Some other, you're finishing a thought while you're writing and you're saying different words. If you look down at your paper, you're gonna be writing the words that you're saying because our brains are wired to do one thing at a time. So when we come in here, how do we lay all that stuff aside? How do we let it go? God is in this room waiting for us He is out there waiting for us to just focus on him. He's not trying to reach us, to grab us, to pull us. He's right here. We're the ones that don't reach out and touch him. If we don't get something out of the sermon or out of worship, that's on us because he's right here. So imagine one of your worship leaders talking about worship this morning. In the Bible, there, I can't even tell you how many verses are dedicated to worship. And not just talking with one another, because there's different forms of worship. There's music, 
There's praising God with your words, whether you're singing them or speaking them. It doesn't all have to be musical, but there's something special about music. There's something special. God has set it aside that when kings were tormented, he had someone in and play a harp. There might not have even been words. It might have just been music, but that was soothing. That was calming. That was God being able to break down the worry in the heart and just reach him. So in my Bible, I have the Life Study Application Bible. I love this thing because anytime I have a question or I want to cross-reference something, it is all just right here. But Psalm 100, the theme of this is an invitation to enter joyfully into God's presence. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Nowhere in there did it say, come sing to him perfectly. And if you're off pitch, he's going to reject it. Nowhere in there. Nowhere in there did he say, you have to know every word just right. And if you don't say the words right, I don't want it. He said, shout with joy. Come before him and worship with gladness. God's looking at our hearts, and he's looking at our focus. In John 4, 24, it talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Our focus has to be on God. Isaiah 29 I'm actually going to read this one because 29, 13, and 14. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by habitual repetition of something to be learned. Because of this, I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I am a Christian. I follow Jesus. I love the Lord. I want him to not look at me and say, why are you thinking about the laundry when you're singing about me? Let down your defenses. There's not a right way to do it. Sometimes you're going to, let's take the song, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know. It might look like, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. Or you might really get in. They are weak, but he is strong. All of those are right. Because behind the words and the movements, I'm not thinking about how silly I look or how off pitch I sound. I'm thinking about, Lord, I'm yours. You are mine. All of the things that I try to put in front of you, God, doesn't matter. You don't care about all of that other stuff. You don't care if I look silly. If I have to fall on my knees under the weight of your love because you pour out so freely, all I have to do is let it in. Are we letting God in when we worship? 
Are we thinking about what the person next to us is doing or thinking? When we collectively let God in when we worship, things change. Miracles happen because we all are putting him first. And he can flood our presence so freely that we don't, even, we don't have doubts that he can't do it. We know because we're only focused on him. Well, that was good. Um, did you get something out of that? Because I did. So Belina was, was speaking, and what I heard was calm down and be still. Settle yourself and listen to what the Lord has to say. Belina was speaking, and you can measure it by the weight that you feel. If you're feeling the weight of what you're up against, you didn't, you're not having God help you with it. Josh, put God at the heart of your decision. He's not in the middle of it. You're doing it on your, by yourself. Cynthia's, I was going back and forth between... God's not looking for perfect. He's looking for participation. That was great. But then there's let down the fence and let me in. He's knocking. He's knocking on your heart. So take these with you through the week and just let God in. Let, let God part of your day-to-day. God, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for opening our hearts. Thank you for pouring into us. Lord, strengthen this new resolve that we have to let you in. Come closer to our decisions. Break down the fences. Calm our minds and help us not carry the weight of it. Lord, bless the people who hear this online. Bless the people here. Keep them safe as they go and as they travel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Gateway Sermon Podcast at our Gateway City Church, Clovis Campus. We'll be releasing a new episode every week, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Gateway City Church is one church that meets in multiple cities. To find us or to learn more, visit mygatewaycity.church. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week.